Catch the fire. Fire. Catch the fire. Welcome to Catch the Fire. I'm Lisa Flood along with Susie McKenzie, and we are so happy to be together and to be with all of you today. How are you, Susie? I am great. We're always happy to be together, right? Spreading the fire, catching the fire, starting the fire. Oh, my friend. <laughs> this week, for me, I had to trust the fire. Oh, well, that's a new one. That is a new one. You want to hear what happened? Well, uh, yes, I do. And I bet everyone else does, too. Okay, so I, you know, it was a little ministry moment, and I had a car full of teenagers, and I had taken them on an excursion. It was a beautiful, beautiful event. It was 10 o'clock at night. We were leaving a church parish that was an hour away from our home, and what happened? But my car wouldn't start. So it's 10 o'clock at night. Everybody's tired. We're hungry. We need to get back home. And I just loaded up the kids with another friend from our parish, and and she brought them back. But I was stranded. I had a husband at home in bed with the flu. I had a car that wouldn't start, and I'm an hour away from home. And I just immediately kicked into, okay, Lord, you're going to take care of me. Either I'm going to sleep in my car tonight, or somebody in this parish is going to help me. I knew one man in this particular parish, and I went inside. I found his wife, told her what was happening, and she just smiled, and she said, well, Lisa... I've got the perfect mechanic for you. The one man that I knew, her husband, was a mechanic. He came outside. He got me what I needed for my car. We jumped it, and my husband got out of bed with the flu, drove across the lake, and followed me home to make sure I didn't have a problem on the way home. Susie, I just had to trust that Jesus was going to take care of me, and he did through this beautiful man, the mechanic, and through my beautiful husband. So there you go. Wow, you had the one man you know is a mechanic, which, okay, that's awesome. And then your husband with the flu. I know, but I made it home. My car got taken care of, a new battery later, and here I am. And you are, and that is trusting the fire big time. That was like immediate answered prayer. Yes. I wish they'd all get answered that way. (laughs) What happened for you? Well, Lisa, you know, for me, it's a little different in that mine's been an ongoing process and it's all about a new puppy. We have a new puppy, you know. Oh, that's awesome. Lily Rose. Yes, she's one of the three wise puppies that we found on Christmas Day. (laughs) And uh, my daughter ended up keeping her. And... uh, Oh, what a, because you see, we have Benny, who's 12 years old, and then we have Lily, and Benny has now become what we call old Mr. Benderson, because he's grumpy and cranky, and he's get that new little whippersnapper off my lawn, you know, sort of thing, but Lily just wants to play, 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 and she's a boxer, and she's so cute, and I have learned so much. I know it's crazy, but I do think that God can work through our pets, and we've learned so much just about... Lily and her playfulness and her wanting attention from Benny and he just doesn't want to give it and he growls at her and really treats her poorly. (laughs) And I just want to say that it has been a process and a journey and it has opened up so many vistas as far as um, this is what we look like in the spiritual life, like the Holy Spirit naps me on the shoulder and gone, yeah, that's you. That's you barking at me. (laughs) That's, that's you wanting to just play and not do the things I'm calling you to do. Um, Life is about a journey. It's about that day-to-day stuff. And it's where he wants us, not just at the end result. I think that's our thinking. And the Holy Spirit revealed to me in this whole training process with this new puppy, that this is what life's about. 
Susie, I love that. He does. He works through everything and he uses everything if we're open to paying attention, aren't we? Well, he does. Even like, yeah, even little foundlings in the form of a puppy. Okay, Susie, I have um, something that has come up for me and that and I really want to talk about this because it's it's been a real issue with multiple people. You know, what do we really believe as Catholics about the Pope and what are we supposed to believe about the Pope? That's a big one. Lisa, that's a big one. I mean, that's like a sticking point for most people and a lot of reasons why yes. people either turn away from the Catholic faith, don't come to the Catholic faith, they don't understand it, they they feel as if it's, you know, it's worshiping a human being. I mean, there's so many issues attached to that. I really would love to start with your story because you have got a great story well, here about a struggle with this issue. It was, it was a young adult who literally reached out to me and said... I have questions about this whole papal infallibility thing. I don't like some of the, I don't like the scandals that I've seen go on in our church, and I am really struggling. What do I really have to believe about the Pope? And it just it just brought up, you know, going to the catechism and then then doing some research and really explaining in a way that it could be it could be understood. And and Susie, not everything that the the Pope says comes under um, the doctrine of papal infallibility. Exactly. I mean, it's when he speaks on faith and morals, it's called when he speaks from the chair, ex cathedra, um, and it's on faith and morals, specifically not on who's going to win the World Cup, you know, so yeah. um, it, it and we we know that. However, there are issues that come up. And when we see how the Holy Father handles things, no matter who it is or when it is or what the situation, sometimes those situations fall under the category of faith and morals. There are quite often moral issues that have to be dealt with. And so, yes, it does cause question. But I think what happens is that we end up digging into what what it all means and what it all means is believing in the guidance of the Holy Spirit and learning to trust in that, not in the human being himself, even though he is the vicar of Christ. He's being led by the Holy Spirit. And I think that that God's calling us to that deeper relationship of trust. And that's what brought us in this particular conversation to a deeper, um, a deeper place in the conversation was really talking about the gift that this comes from from like Jesus set up the church. This is his church. This was his plan. Papal infallibility is literally a gift from God to us. We trust that the the Holy Father is being guided in these issues and 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 we just have to trust that the Holy Spirit is is working through him. Lisa, when you shared that answer with your your um inquirer, your questioner. <laughs> what was the response that you received? I'm curious. It was, well, um, let, let, give me some time to, uh, <laughs> to think about this, to do a little more research and maybe even talk to um, someone else to really bounce this off and to pray about it. And honestly, that that my journey, every time I don't, I have not understood something within the faith or wrestled with it, I always take it to Jesus in adoration. And then that was my recommendation here. Look, I can tell you, I can tell you what the catechism says, but you've got to go before God and say, okay, Jesus, I don't understand this. So why don't you help me see what you want me to see here? Help me get where you want me to go. Well, yeah, because quite honestly, we personally, you and I and anybody other human doesn't have the answers, but we know God does. And that's yet another exercise in trusting the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Trusting that he's going to deal individually with that person. Absolutely, Susie. But again, it comes back to this is why our prayer life is so important. I mean, God really wants to engage our hearts and our minds. And we continue to talk about that, that this faith journey 
is meant to engage both our hearts and our minds. It is, and I think the the having the question about paper infallibility, being willing to go to that place to talk about it and to unpack it and to and wrestle and wrestle with it and say I don't get it, you know, because he's just a human being like anybody else. I think that's okay because that just means we're 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 fighting the fight, baby. We're in the battle. We're in, going down with the struggle, you know, and we're with Jesus. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break. Stick with us. We'll be right back on Catch the Fire. I went to church and just sat there and listened. I really didn't absorb anything. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a a burden to me. I had this sin that I carried in my heart for a long time. And I told myself for many, many years that the Lord wouldn't forgive me for this. When, when Father in the confessional says, your sins are forgiven, there truly is a, a feeling of, of weight lifted off. I don't care if it's two or three little sins that you're carrying, there's a feeling of I can breathe deeply again. I feel pure inside and I'm, and I'm ready to come to Mass. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. When you come home to the, to the church, you're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. Welcome back to Catch the Fire. I'm Lisa Flood along with Susie McKenzie, and we are joined in the studio today by Adam Trufant from Christ the King. Welcome to Catch the Fire. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Adam, you are the household director for the JP2 house at, at Christ the King at LSU. Let's begin with what is the JP2 house? That's a great question. I, I think I should start with just a little story. Um, so I've been working in campus ministry at Christ the King for two years, and I was drawn to Christ the King by Father Andrew Merrick, who uh, is an old friend through Camp Shasatonga in North Carolina. And so as he, he gave me a phone call and said, hey, man, would you be interested in working in campus ministry? And I said, sure. And as soon as as soon as we started working together, one of the things that we just dreamed about were, was household communities. And we saw this coming up in prayer as we were praying as a staff, Acts 2.42 is coming up a lot. The idea of young apostles, young um, apostolic community living in community, living really intentionally Christian life. And so the obvious dream here was, well, we want houses for the students to live together and to be directed in Christian life together. And so we immediately started praying. And uh, I remember Father Andrew at different events for for donors and and trying to— raise an awareness of some of the direction that he wanted to take the ministry. And he would say this openly, like, I'm praying for fraternity houses and sorority houses. And uh, lo and behold, through a tragedy, a young man named Max Groover in a, a, a house on sorority row passed away in um, from al- alcohol poisoning uh, at the hospital in Baton Rouge uh, from, from an incident in some of the houses at LSU. And, uh, at that moment, you know, we connected with the family. Max was uh, was from a Catholic family, and so we were able to to minister to Max's friends and to the Phi Delta community there that he was a part of. And um, and then we just started praying, and and it wasn't a, a result uh, of that incident. We didn't, you know, we weren't waiting to pounce or anything, but we 
we just prayed about it and said, you know, maybe this house would be open since that fraternity was no longer on campus due to the incident. And um, we started praying with, uh, with, with everything, and we got a call back immediately, and they said, man, you know, we're very interested in a church taking, uh, taking the reins here on this house. And uh, so we just started praying about it, and doors continued to open, and we really felt the, just the flow of the Spirit. And so the JP2 house is um, an answered prayer to years and years of, of campus ministers and community rallying around Christ the King, asking for intentional space for students to live together, to witness to their Catholic faith on LSU's campus. Uh, and it's, it, it's an experiment. You know, this is our first year. We're still working out a lot of kinks and stuff, but, man, it's been awesome. And I've, I've totally felt... The, the the accompanying piece of the Holy Spirit throughout the whole year. Um, so yeah, that's a kind of a long answer to your question, but just to give you a little bit of a context. You know, Lisa and I both went to LSU and uh, graduated a little while ago. <laughs> not too long ago. <laughs> not too long ago. We're not that, yeah, Lisa's a lot younger than me. But anyway, we know what LSU campus life is like. And uh, we know the temptations that exist. We also know that um, there can be maybe some laughter, ridicule, maybe. I don't know. Have, has any of that happened with the advent of the JP2 house? There's been some. You know, you know I think I have a lot of... Uh, it, it, that question brings up some interesting feelings because, it, yes, there has been a little bit of uh, not so much laughter and ridicule. If they are, I don't know. I don't particularly care. You don't care. You don't know about it anyway. <laughs> because yeah. I, well, no, I know about it and I expect it. And You're shielded. Just, that's You're just okay. a part of the game. Right. Um, and there's, there's certainly... I think we might expect a lot more overt ridicule, but uh, there's been much more curiosity from the students because I think a lot of the students, whether or not they're, they're able to realize it, they just, there's sort of this rampant unhappiness amongst college students. They, you know, they, they put their eggs in so many different baskets that don't really give return. And um, as a result, students are anxious or depressed or hurting in one way or another or feeling just altogether unhappy um, dissatisfied with relationships. And so, you know, plant some church-led fraternity house right in the middle of frat row at LSU, uh, witnessing to something different. And the guys all seem normal, balanced, healthy, you know, doing their thing. But uh, generally, they're all really good guys involved in really good things, really enjoying their lives, open to correction and direction and sacramental lifestyle. And and you get a hub where a lot of people who... Uh, aren't Catholic can come and enjoy and, uh, and Catholics as well can come and find a sort of a, a respite. And, uh, I, you know, I think, I think there has been some ridicule from students or people looking down their noses, but I think from the beginning, we knew that would happen. We don't wave a big flag. We try really hard to represent humbly, um, the, the Catholic church in different areas on campus. And we try to serve our, our fellow men with honesty and integrity but we, you know, we're not out there preaching on, on street corners. That's not really where we feel called to be. Maybe in time, the Lord will lead us to more, uh, more ministry directly on campus. But right now, we're really trying to, to plant our roots deeply in our community so that, uh, so that we can have a firm foundation to stand on in the years to come. And maybe, God willing, for many more houses on LSU's campus. Adam, my husband and I were blessed to be there the night we had an archbishop and two bishops. Mm-hmm or two archbishops and a bishop, <laughs> blessing the JP2 house. And I'll tell you, the feeling of the Holy Spirit being so present was palpable. I mean, you could just feel 
this this is a story of redemption and hope, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, oh, it's fantastic, and you can totally see the Lord's work in that. You know, it's it is sad. I mean, this the hazing incident. Um, it's tragic. That brought, it was oh, such a tragedy. But what what a ministry it's been for us to stand in this space. I mean, you know, there's been many articles uh, published about this and, and and other interviews that we've had with different media outlets. So all of this is out in the open. But um, you know, the the Groover family has been, I I think, really heartened by the sight of young men trying to live out their faith, striving for something more together uh, in the house where their son Max, you know, <clears throat> misguidedly w- was was hurt and was led to his death. You know, that's an unbelievable tragedy. But that's not the first time. This actually, you know, this happens in fraternities all over the country and LSU quite often, all too often. And so, you know, I think it's important to get back to, to, to give a witness, a radical witness, of getting back to what a fraternity or a sorority was meant to look like. It was meant to be uh, good people acknowledging their mutual goodness and striving towards good things together, aimed directly without distraction and and growing and uh, mutual support. And, you know, that's all we're trying to do. uh, So people might feel threatened or weird or or perhaps, um, you know, that verse from John 3 where Jesus is, or where John's describing Jesus's words and he said, they hate the light. They hate the light because their works are in darkness and they don't want the light to expose their works. And man, it's so easy for people to hate what witnesses to the light. So yeah, we continue to expect ridicule, but honestly, we haven't really gotten that much. We've, we've had, a, there's been a tremendous amount of openness from the students. I love that, that there's been openness. And you know, that that does make sense because at a, a large campus like LSU, they do pride themselves on, you know, tolerance, and mm. diversity, and all those things that we hear that can be good things. Um, what growth and what fruit have you seen so far? I think my vision, the, the growth that I'm, I have eyes for right now, especially, is just amongst the boys and in my own heart as well. I think living in an intentional community, just as living with a family or in a religious community or whatever it might be, uh, it really helps you find—it's difficult. It really helps you find your edges. And when you live in close quarters, those you, you find those edges because they catch and they tear, or eventually, through God's grace, they rub down so that you can live in harmony. And so sort of working through those edges, you know, that's a, that's a really incredible miracle of God's grace <laughs> that people can come <laughs> living in close quarters and, and be able to treat each other graciously, to, to live kindly. I've seen tremendous grace in the house between— uh, different roommates and and um, and guys who originally maybe they wouldn't have hung out before they lived in the house together, but then the house gave them a common goal, and so friendships were forged where there wouldn't have been a friendship otherwise. And I think I think that's a miracle of the Holy Spirit. There's there's much more um, that's that I could witness to, but uh, I don't want to overlook just those quotidian miracles. You know, those everyday sweet moments where you see the steady concrete growth in virtue. And uh, to me, that's the thing that I'm most proud to be a part of. Adam, I just, um, I think the house is, it's pretty amazing what you're doing with it. And there are some beautiful pictures of saints throughout. Hmm. Can you talk about some of the saints that the men are really growing closer to? Yeah, well, this is fun. I mean, how much time do we have? (laughs) (laughs) Pick a couple. (laughs) Okay. Um, So yeah, a few things. So I prayed from the beginning, I was praying for the intercession of particular saints uh, in the house because I wanted I wanted saints that you know saints with skin on. 
I wanted saints that guys could relate to. I wanted to have photographs, active photographs of, of saints from the last century in the house and saints who were smiling. I wanted people who were walking through the house who didn't know anything about the Catholic faith to see a radiant picture of Mother Teresa's smile or Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frassati's smile or, or, or John Bosco's smile or, of course, John Paul II's smile. I wanted to see happy saints on the walls um, just as a very tangible reminder that this faith fulfills our desires. This faith gives us what it is that we long in our deepest insides insides. And so um, a few saints, Blessed Pierre Giorgio is just my boy. He's, you know, he was a, a university student, um, activist, lover of the Blessed Sacrament, uh, dynamic outdoorsman. He, he was just an incredible guy and most young men connect to him. And, and so I wanted to have him represented on the wall. Multiple pictures, of course, of John Paul II, especially in his young priesthood, ministering to young families in, out, in outdoor places. The beret and the Ray-Bans. Yeah, got it. It's on the wall. <laughs> Gotta have it. Love it. And uh, I guess I'll mention briefly, the, at, the beginning of the, uh, at the beginning of the year, I was praying because I, like, I feel like I'm missing saints. There's one or two more saints I want, but I don't know who they are. And actually, Lisa, I don't think I've shared this with you. I may have. But in your house, probably three or four years ago, we were hanging out with uh, Father Philip Scott, and he looked at me and he said, you remind me of a Spanish martyr. I remember this. Yeah, he said, you remind me of this Spanish martyr. And I was like, what? So he Googled a Spanish martyr, and he said, look at this guy. You know, he, And it's a picture of a, of a young Spanish man next to a, sh- a soldier with a rifle on his shoulder. And the man is smiling, the, the young Spanish man. And he told me moments after this photograph was taken, that soldier shot and killed this young Spanish man. And I was like, well, why is he smiling? He's like, well, he told me a little bit about him, but I didn't remember much. All I remembered was that. That face. That face, yeah. And so I was sitting there. It was about midnight, August 17th or 18th. I can't quite remember, uh, but it's pertinent. I should remember. And I I was praying. And that memory, I hadn't thought about it in probably years, but that memory came to my mind. And so I was asking the Lord to send me saints. And who did the Lord want to intercede for this house? Who did he want to be present? And... uh so I was like, oh, that's Spanish martyr. And so I Googled Spanish martyr, and I found his picture. It came up, and uh, I, I read his story. And his name is—he's uh, a blessed, blessed Martin Martinez. Yes. And as I was reading more about him, um, I learned that he was a young Catholic priest, 25 years old, in the Spanish Civil War. And he, he went into hiding in a cave, and the opposing forces took his father— and sent out locals to find him and tell him, hey, we're going to kill your father if you don't reveal yourself. So he did. He came out of hiding, um, and he went to his martyrdom in complete peace and in joyful interactions with the guards and was martyred with many other young Catholics and young Catholic priests, but not before a Spanish Civil War photographer took pictures of him. And I was sitting there looking, just Googling over the story, and it had just turned midnight, and it said, and his feast day is August 18th, or whatever wow. it was, whatever that day was, that moment his feast day began out of 365 days of the year. And I was like, okay. <laughs> that <laughs> is in. wild. He's in. I, yeah, I he's get in. it, Jesus. He made the cut. <laughs> so, yeah, we blew his picture up and we threw it on the wall, too. Wow. Wow, that's really awesome. Mm-hmm. You talk about God being on time. <laughs> They say the saints pick us, right? Well, they do. They do. So you've got these, I just love that you have smiling saints because, you know, that's supposed to be the joy of the Christian life and the hope that we have. So how many men are actually in your house? I'm just curious. So there's 10 guys, one co-director, 
and um, and then nine students and then myself. So 11 total. So is there a vision to grow more in this house or and or add more houses? You made a mention of that earlier. We, you know, this house could realistically accommodate 14 guys. Um, so yeah, we're praying about that. We're taking applications for the house now. Oh, um, so you apply for next to get year. into the house. Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. You can find more information on the CTK <laughs> website. Just Google us. And, uh, and so, yeah, we, we could have more. I think right now this is a good space just with a single house director to keep it pretty intimate. But um, yeah, why not? Why not, you know, dream huge? Uh, there's a few houses that are kind of up for grabs right now on LSU's campus that I'm praying very directly for. Yeah, if you're going to take the time to dream, dream big, right? Absolutely. got to have, <laughs> have God-sized dreams. God-sized dreams. Exactly. I mean, Adam... Father Andrew must be just in awe of the way God is moving to provide this space. And, and I'm blessed to know some of the young men who live in the house. These are some incredible young men who will be the futures of our church, right? Yes. I mean, no matter where absolutely. God's calling them. Sure. I definitely, if there's anything I've noticed, it's just this solidity amongst each man in particular um, to step into a, you know, a role of leadership. I, re- I really believe that these men are going to be this it's hard to tell how much an experience of Christian community like this during your college years can affect your future. But I think it's going to be huge. Adam Trufant, God bless you and all of the work you're doing at Christ the King, especially at the JP2 House. Be assured of our prayers for you. Thank you so much. Okay, Lisa, I'm just like heart is full, excited for the future here. I know. And these are some amazing young men at an incredible time. And, and I mean, let's face it, Susie, you and I both went to LSU. We, we both did Greek life and I loved Greek life. But to see them making this um, intentional um, decision to walk this path and walk this journey in the faith, I mean, it's really pretty amazing. Well, it is because it it's different. I mean, I know like at, at Franciscan University, they have houses, households. Um, I think it's different for what might consider a secular campus or a state university like that. And I think it's exactly what we're called to do is that we have to be salt and light and we have to bring it to the people. And this is just a beautiful way to do it. Yes. And, you know, I've heard Father Andrew many times give his own conversion story. And he always says he knows that. God completely grabbed his heart because people were praying for him. So I think we all all need to remember um, to cover the JB2 house and Christ the King and the mission and ministry of what God is doing there, because this is going to impact many. Well, and it was born out of sorrow and the loss of a life, which yes. is so um, gut-wrenching, poignant, and yet beautiful because something beautiful is growing out of it. That is God's way, isn't it? Lisa Sparks. We have sparks. sparks. We have those little things in life that make life worth living, you know? <laughs> Mine is very light and fun. And, you know, every now and then I'm talking about some kind of cooking idea. Well, okay, there's something new that I've been using in my salad dressings and in <laughs> cooking. And it's at the Fresh Market. It's called, it's a balsamic glaze. It's not just a balsamic dressing. Okay. It's literally a glaze. Have you ever seen it? No, I haven't, but it sounds great. If you're going to do, I know y'all do a a lot of Mediterranean and healthy cooking, (laughs) Mm -hmm. a little olive oil, a little balsamic glaze. I mean, it it literally is amazing on your salad. It's much better than just straight balsamic dressing. Okay. I'm loving that. I'm loving that. Okay. Lisa, mine's totally different. And it's like Susie's tip of the day. This is something I've done since New Year's. 
hello, I've been going to a gym my entire life, but the one we're at for 18 years, I'm finally bringing a gym bag to the gym. Okay, so I'm making a plug for gym bags. Okay, people, <laughs> get dressed at the gym, shower at the gym, just do it. Don't run home. It's a time saver. You make it to mass on time and not late. Um, you, uh, yes, so this is, I know it's crazy, but it's if you're going to work out, if you're going to take the time to do it, just prepare and plan. Put everything in the gym bag. I don't care if it weighs 40 pounds. Bring it. Shower at the gym. It will change your life. I love Susie's tips of the day. <laughs> uh, Susie, it's been great being with you and being with Adam. Let's all go out there and love our faith and spread our faith and catch the fire. Catch the Fire is a production of Catholic Community Radio.